Hello, and welcome to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese TV dramas. This is Karen. And this is Kathy. This is episode seven of the podcast, but we are analyzing episode eight of Hou Gong Zhen Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. There is a ton of culture to analyze in this episode, and we are very excited to discuss these scenes with you. As always, if you have any comments or questions or feedback, please email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com. You can also watch these episodes on YouTube with English subtitles now, if that's helpful, um, if you are in the U.S. Let's start off with a quick recap of this episode. This episode is actually pretty light in terms of plot. Pretty much, we recount our main character, Jin Huan, after eight episodes of dodging the emperor, is finally healthy and ready to um, get married. I must say, considering the subject matter of this drama, or at least this episode, this drama is able to portray these scenes in a very classy way, because as we've mentioned before, anything explicit is banned by the Chinese government. So what happens? The first half of this episode is pretty lovey-dovey. Yongzheng, the emperor, is very excited, or at least as excited as his pancake face can bring us to believe. And if you look at the scene, he really does have this like deadpan face, and it's quite hilarious. He's finally able to spend the night with Jin Huan, and he's just like stone face. And I think that's what a lot of fans were like, "What is going on? Why doesn't he show more emotion?" But anyways, that's again acting hey, choice by this person. Eyes show that he's laughing. You know, <laughs> that's the I guess that's the emotion of the emperor. <laughs> Well, he's excited and takes Jin Huan, our main character, outside of the Forbidden Palace to another palace with hot springs for uh, what I'll call is a lovely day spa. There's a conversation at the hot springs about Han Chengdi, Zhao Feiyan, and Zhao Hede. They're very famous people from the Han Dynasty, and we'll discuss the importance of this later on. Jin Huan wants a normal wedding. But she knows that she can't have it because she's only a concubine. Yongzheng is very taken with her honesty and promises to give her one. The curtain closes on this romantic night. Well, it's a sleepless night for many other people in Hougong, the imperial harem, including the favorite concubine Hua Fei and Jin Huan's best friend Shen Meizhuang, who is also establishing herself in the palace. Jin Huan returns to Hou Gong, and the first thing she does is greet Huang Hou, the empress or the official wife of the emperor. Jin Huan performs the three kneels and nine bows, or San Gui Jiu Kou, which we discussed in episode three, and is customary um, after spending the night with the emperor. Here, Jin Huan's attire has also matured a bit, as you'll see. Her clothes and her hair are styled much more formally. After Jin Huan leaves Jin Rongong, which is the palace of the Empress, Jin Huan bumps into Li Pin and Cao Guiren. If you recall, Li Pin and Cao Guiren are two concubines that are on Team Huafei. They are allies with her and want to bring down Jin Huan. Here we also see Kang Luhai, who is currently working for Li Pin, 
and he sneaks away after seeing Jin Huan to talk to her. If you don't remember who this guy is, that's fine, let me tell you. He used to be the head eunuch for Jin Huan back when she just started at the palace, but upon seeing her sick and thinking she may never amount to much, he basically jumps ship to go work for Li Pin. Ever the social climber, this eunuch, Kang Luhai, actually goes and tries to get back into Jin Huan's good graces and is wondering if he can serve her again. The nerve of him, right? Well, Li Pin, his current master, witnesses the scene and runs up to this conversation, gets all mad, and punishes him. Jin Huan isn't stupid either and knows that he doesn't have any loyalty, which from day one we've seen she values very much and, of course, doesn't take him back. So yay Jin Huan for, you know, having a backbone. This eunuch, Kang Luhai, is left kneeling on the floor and punishing himself by slapping himself in the face. This is a common punishment for folks in the palace. And I've actually gone back and forth on the lesson here for Kang Luhai. On one hand, it's important to be loyal, but is blind loyalty great, especially if you have a terrible master? We see examples of this later. I think the true lesson here is recognizing when you have a good master and being loyal to that good master. If Kang Luhai was smart enough to see Jin Huan and her potential, just like the Empress has or almost anybody in the palace, he would not have left and probably would be in a much higher social standing now. But as of now, he has the reputation of someone who isn't trustworthy and his fate is pretty much sealed. He's a minor character and was only around for like a few episodes, but this is unfortunately the last we see of him. Anyways, when they get back to Sui Yuxuan, Jin Huan finds out that she's been gifted with Jiao Fang Zhili. We'll discuss this later, but this is a huge deal. A few days later, Jin Huan is sitting with Shen Meizhuang and they discuss Yongzheng's favoritism of Jin Huan. Shen Meizhuang is frank in sharing with her best friend that she is a little jealous of the attention that Jin Huan is getting. But she knows that it's beneficial for the two of them to be favored, which means their position in Hogong, the imperial harem, will be much more secure. Servants won't sabotage them as much, and the other concubines will give them more respect, if especially they are seen as a united front. Shimeizhuang advises Jin Huan to bide her time and to endure or tolerate, and she uses the word ren. Um, towards the other concubines. No doubt, she's, using, she's giving some advice from her own learnings. Uh, remember, she didn't have as great a time um, earlier when she had the favoritism from the emperor. Elsewhere, Aling Rong, the third friend of the trio, who was embarrassingly returned to her palace after being called to serve the emperor, comments how no matter how close people may seem, there will be cracks to their relationship. And uh, this might also be foreshadowing to her relationship to the other ladies. Not long after, Yongzheng summons Jin Huan to his private residence. He has a plate of dumplings brought to her and she takes a bite. It's super cute and she's rightfully embarrassed afterwards. But again, we'll discuss the meaning of why these dumplings are important. Huafei and her minions are huffing and puffing in Huafei's palace. Li Pin and Cao Guiren are voicing their displeasure for Jin Huan's sudden rise to power. 
Yongjung is spending a ton of time with her, and it's understandable that these ladies are jealous. The next day, Jin Huan comes in late to Qing'an, which we've discussed before is the formal court greeting to Huang Hou, the empress, and this is the most fascinating thing. We've seen three ladies at this point be late to this court greeting. The first is Hua Fei, which is a habit for her. And then it's Shen Meizhuang, where, if you recall, she had to change clothes. And now it's Jin Huan. But what happens? Absolutely nothing. Remember how Shen Meizhuang got completely chewed out and punished by Hua Fei for being a tiny, tiny bit late? Well, Jin Huan is late, and no one says a word. You see here how important favoritism by the emperor is. Everyone knows if they give Jin Huan a hard time at this point, they'll just be hurting themselves in the eyes of the emperor because if this gets back to him that, he, that she was punished, he'll be upset. So it's best to just leave it be. Shen Meizhuang did not have that much established favoritism at this point or when she was punished and therefore was a target. Right now, no one dares to punish Jin Huan because of all the things that the emperor has done for her the last couple of days, taking her to the spa for the hot springs and then giving her all of these gifts. Smartly, though, Jin Huan does not flaunt anything like Hua Fei does and just takes her seat at the court greeting quietly. Right, that's the most important thing. Um, when Shen Meizhuang was late, she gave an excuse and said, Somebody and a eunuch kind of splashed water, but Jin Huan here doesn't say anything. She kind of just keeps her mouth shut. So nobody can really say anything. They give some snarky comments, but that's about it. For this court greeting, we also get our first mention of Si Ge, who is the fourth son of the emperor. And the empress, Huang Hou, has a curious reaction to him. We find out that the fourth prince, or the fourth son, of the emperor is not favored by the emperor whatsoever because he was the product of a drunken knight and was actually reprimanded by his father for this act. So this prince has been relegated to the sidelines. The episode ends as the ladies leave and Hua Fei tries to sow some jealousy between Shen Meizhuang and Jin Huan. Before we move on to the analysis, I do want to note, so this fourth princess son, uh, his mother is what we call um, just a maid. So basically the emperor had a drunken fling with a servant maid. And so she's not mentioned or actually like seen in this drama whatsoever. She's like of no consequence. Okay, let's get into some deeper stuff. There's actually quite a lot to cover in this episode. The first thing that we want to discuss is a reference to a Han Dynasty emperor. This takes place when Jin Huan is at the hot springs taking a nice bath complete with rose petals everywhere. That's another huge cliche of Chinese dramas that you see time and again. Baths always, always are covered with rose petals and it doesn't matter the season. She's taking the bath and the emperor comes to see her, which I mean rude. So she asks him, do you want to be Han Chengdi? Because I dare not be Zhao Hede. He is sort of miffed by being referenced this way and they have an exchange about this comparison and this illusion. So what's going on? 
Han Chengdi was one of the last emperors of the Western Han Dynasty. He lived from 51 BC to 7 BC, so several thousand years ago. The Han Dynasty was a very important dynasty in Chinese history. It produced very famous emperors that expanded China's borders, pushed back the Huns, and was also the dynasty that established the Silk Road. There are tons of books and dramas about the emperors, empresses, princes, heroes, poets, beautiful women of this dynasty. Yeah, we might do a recap or analysis of one of these dramas, so stay tuned for that. The Han, which this dynasty is named after, is one and the same as the Han people of China. So you can see how important this dynasty is. Han Chengdi was the 12th emperor of this dynasty. He is known, unfortunately, not for doing any of these great things that helped establish, expand, and develop the empire, but because he was one of those emperors that loved debauchery and the pleasures of women. Not just women, actually. Men and women. He abused his power as the emperor to focus only on building extravagant palaces, having lavish parties, and for having spent time with ladies in his harem. Of the women he had in his imperial harem were two sisters, one named Zhao Feiyan and the other Zhao Hede, the woman our main character Zhen Huan referenced. These two women are famed in Chinese history for their beauty, but also for being trouble to the empire. The more famous one, named Zhao Feiyan, is considered one of the most beautiful women in Chinese history. She is not of noble birth, and historical archives say that she is primarily an accomplished dancer, but ended up being the second official wife, or the second official empress, of this Han emperor. So you can see that she is very strategic and uh, became very powerful. There are dramas that depict the scene, but her claim to fame, if you will, is that she is so thin and light that she can dance atop of drums. This drum dance is her signature. There is actually a beautiful scene in a drama called Mu Yi Tianxia, where the scene is exhibited. In case anyone wants to watch it, um, Zhao Feiyan is portrayed by the beautiful Tong Liya. In any case, what did we say previously about women who are singers and dancers? People of higher birth don't appreciate these low-ranking attributes. These two sisters, Zhao Feiyan and Zhao Hede, though famous in history, are mostly portrayed in a negative light because they are women that distracted the emperor from his duties. They schemed and murdered their opponents in the imperial harem and were basically women that used their beauty for bad instead of good. History labels them as what I would call them femme fatales. Both of these women did not have good endings. One sister was given poison and the other committed suicide. So you see why when being compared to this Han Dynasty emperor, this current emperor, Yongzheng, is a little annoyed. He says, how dare you compare me to him? She is hoping he's not as lustful as this other emperor. But also she wants to tell him that she doesn't want to distract him as these two sisters did. But isn't this fun? Literally two sentences that Jin Quan says conveys a whole story. I love it. 
But the stories don't end just there. To appease the emperor from this comparison, Jin Huan says that the emperor, Yongzheng, is very wise and brilliant, something the Han Dynasty emperor cannot compare to. The emperor, Yongzheng, however, is not appeased whatsoever, but turns around and says, how would you know I am wise and brilliant, especially in court? You are not allowed to discuss court matters. This line is actually very important and exemplifies what I would say is the basis of China society that was established back by Confucius. In Chinese culture, and also mentioned by Confucius, men and women have very defined roles in the family. It is a very patriarchal society, and the men are focused on the outer section of the family, while women are focused on the inner section. Men are and always will be the head of the family, and they will attend to public matters. Women are focused on matters within the family, so they focus on child rearing, managing the servants, hosting events, etc. They are not supposed to interfere with matters of court or of what the men of the household are focused on. This is division of labor at its finest in China society. On a much grander scale in the imperial family, it means that women are not supposed to meddle in affairs of state. As we have seen, the empress or the official wife of the emperor is only supposed to be focused on affairs of the imperial harem or hougong. She and the other concubines are not to talk to court officials or to give opinion or advice on anything related to state matters. In many cases, if they are found to be meddling in state affairs, these women could be punished severely. The reason behind this is, as we've just discussed, there have been plenty of examples in Chinese history where women have distracted emperors from their duties and, in some cases, have brought about the demise of entire dynasties. In practice, however, it is clear that women play an incredibly important role in state affairs, whether the men like it or not. As we will see, the Empress Dowager, so the Emperor's mother, is incredibly knowledgeable of state affairs and was crucial in helping the Emperor secure the throne. There are numerous examples of women in their restricted roles playing a key part in Chinese history. Perhaps the most powerful woman at any point in time in China is actually the Empress Dowager, the Emperor's mother. So you will see lots and lots of concubines scheming to have their son become the emperor so that they can also gain more power. If you are not aware, in the Tang Dynasty, a woman who was the wife of the emperor named Wu Zetian actually declared herself emperor, the first and only woman in Chinese history. So you see, even though women were unequal in terms of roles, their importance in Chinese history cannot be understated. And I also want to mention how much you can actually discuss state affairs depends on how much favoritism you have with the emperor. We will see this shift in the future. This went off on a bit of a tangent to discuss the division of roles here, but Jin Huan was able to keep the emperor happy by continuing to say that she doesn't know anything about court affairs. All she knows is that in his imperial harem, he has women who are more beautiful than these two sisters, Zhao Feiyan and Zhao Hede. But also, he has women who are as thoughtful and elegant as Ban Jie Yu. 
Not to get more complicated, but Ban Jieyu was another concubine in this Han Emperor's harem. So in the same time period as this uh, not-so-great emperor and these two uh, beautiful women. This Ban Jieyu, however, has a good reputation for being graceful. So basically, Jin Huan is saying that the current emperor has much more fortune than the Han Dynasty emperor because he has beauty and grace in his harem. When you hear that, you really can't stay mad. So the emperor, now finally happy, takes Jin Huan to spend a romantic evening. The next scene that we want to discuss is after Jin Huan uh, goes and greets the empress and her whole conversation about Kang Luhai and everything. She goes back to her quarters, Sui Xuan, and everyone is very happy to show her because she's been gifted with something called Jiao Fang Zhili. Now, Jiao Fang has a lot to do about your wedding night. Um, so let's kind of dive a little bit deeper. Jiao Fang has its roots all the way back to the Han Dynasty, which we discussed earlier. And Jiao Fang Dian used to be the name of the Empress's palace. So this really kind of shows uh, how important of a wedding night, of a wedding um, tradition this is. The literal translation is peppercorn room because Jiao means peppercorn and Fang means room. Yongzheng is truly going all out for her. This um, might also be my projection, but he's doing this for her because she's from the Han banners, so she's Han Chinese. These are customs that she'd be more familiar with. Um, there are different Manchu wedding customs, so they're not really portrayed here. And Jin Xi, one of her maids, says that the only other person to receive this privilege as a concubine was Hua Fei, who, remember, is also from a Han banner. Well, if we take a look, the wedding room is repainted with a mixture made with peppercorn and mud. Peppercorn has a lot of seeds, and this new room basically is a good omen and wishes that the new couple will have many children. Peppercorn also gives off a pleasant aroma that is much nicer than, let's say, your normal perfume. Jin Huan goes up to the bed and lifts the covers. We see different nuts, dates, and coins. So let's see what we have here. We have red dates, hong zao, peanuts, hua sheng, longan, guiyuan, and lotus seeds, lianzi. These four make up the idiom zao sheng guizi, which means to have a sun soon. Now this uh, custom and tradition is actually still used in some places in China right now. So this is a very long-standing tradition. And again, this is meant as luck for the happy couple to have a child soon. It's all about wordplay. It's all about homonyms. And so just so you, you all have it, so let's kind of just, let me kind of say all these homonyms and what it means. So hong zao, which equals zao. Hua sheng, with sheng. Gui yuan, and gui. Lian zi, is zi. So with these four, we make zao sheng gui zi. Pretty cool, right? Now, what's up with the coins? Tong Tian. Well, this is for another idiom called Tong Tian An Chuang. Basically, it means if you can sleep comfortably, then you'll be flushed with money and luck. The Chinese are all about traditions, luck, and superstitions. A wedding night is supposed to be a lucky affair, so everybody goes all out. And again, these are customs that don't really apply in the palace, so you can see how much effort and thought the emperor's putting 
into for Jinhuan. The last piece on this, notice the color of the new bedding. It's red. Now, this is also very unusual for a concubine. In Chinese culture, red is reserved only for the wife. Consorts or concubines can only use pink. This whole jiaofangzhili, again, is reserved usually for the wife because she is meant to be the real partner to the husband. Consorts are not. And again, this really shows how much Yongzheng cares um, and favors Jinhuan because this is not a privilege that many women have in the palace. Remember what happened with Shi Zhuang? She kind of just got lifted and like carried over to uh, Yongzheng's palace. <laughs> well, next, I want to briefly touch on the scene where Yongzheng brings Jinhuan to his private quarters and a eunuch brings a bowl of dumplings. Jinhuan takes a bite and immediately spits it out. She says, Shengde, which translates to, it's raw. Taking a bite from a raw dumpling is also customary for a new bride. The bride needs to say Shengde because it's again a wordplay on Zao Sheng Guizi, or to have a son soon. Sheng here can mean raw or to give birth. It's a good omen if the wife says this, and it has to be the wife that says this because obviously it doesn't matter really for the husband. <laughs> this is a very romantic gesture because Yongzheng hopes that Jin Huan can have a son for him soon. It's also a gesture that I don't think even Hua Fei received. So again, um, Yongzheng is putting a lot into this, this new uh, concubine, this new consort of his. Nope, never mind. Not even consort. Right now, noble lady. Wow, Kathy. Get your facts straight. She is only a noble lady right now. She will get to consort. If that's a spoiler alert, she'll get there. In any case, the last scene that we want to discuss is actually back with Yu Yinger. Do you remember her? She is the level one opponent from the last episode, who only lasted for a short while. She is the maid turned concubine, but was very mean and got punished by the emperor for having no manners and for overstepping her authority. But also because he turned his attention onto Jinhuan and promptly forgot about her because she only knows how to sing and isn't very educated. Well, Yu Yinger has been relegated to a tiny room somewhere by herself, evidently forgotten. And she is very angry at Jinhuan for stealing her favoritism. So what does she do? Yu Yinger is seen stabbing this doll thing. She basically made a voodoo doll and is cursing Jinhuan for her misfortunes. Some variation of voodoo actually expanded to China from Africa, which that's really interesting. I didn't know that. You'll see this practice of cursing people with a voodoo doll in several Chinese dramas. This will play a major part later in the show, but it's basically very taboo and pops up a lot, but what happens? You basically create a tiny doll in the shape of the person you are trying to curse. And generally, it is something that women do. I, I don't think I've ever seen a drama where a man is creating a voodoo doll. It's always women. Don't know why. You will generally put the name of the person you are trying to curse on the doll, and you will try to make the doll in their likeness, maybe with their similar clothes or hair. Uh, it's not always that way, but generally that's kind of how it goes. And basically what you do is after you put the name on this doll, you will stab the doll with needles. 
and each stab is supposed to hurt the actual person. Don't know if you believe in this type of magic, but evidently this type of thing was very popular in the Qing Dynasty and, like I said, Chinese dramas. So many Chinese dramas have this trope where there's a voodoo doll and some very angry woman is stabbing it with needles to try to curse somebody. This Yu Yinger is having a fantastic time stabbing this doll of Jin Huan in an effort to get revenge. How long can she keep this up and will she actually be able to hurt Jin Huan? We'll find out soon enough. And that is that for episode 8. Are we excited? Jin Huan is living in the clouds. She got all the attention from the emperor and I think she really thinks that she's in love, which is cute. And I must say that the emperor definitely knows how to pull out all the stops. Even with that pancake face of this 40s uh, middle-aged man, he is able to woo women left, right, and center. I'd be blushing if I got all these gifts from him too. In the next episode, we will see how Jin Huan handles all of this attention. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed discussing it. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com. We will catch you in the next episode.